Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? Giovanni Ribisi. This time. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my thing. I'll switch voices every time. Yeah, I think you should. This is Uncle Francis and Weinstein. A podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola. Cut by cut. This is a Case Cup podcast production. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not I bad. got it, right? Buona <laughs> sera. Have a seat. Have a glass. And welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. Oh, I'm here. I made it right on time. <laughs> How's it going? I'm Mike Nancy. Pretty good, Mike. Pretty good. Welcome back, sir. Yeah. Well, welcome back to you, too. We both traveled, but I traveled a little longer than you. So <laughs> thank you, by the way, for bringing yes. in the foodie films man, Kyle Reinfried, to, to step in my place. I thought you guys did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his pleasure. No, we got along swimmingly. No violence, you know. We broke bread. Everything was peaceful. <laughs> and I, I want to mention some things about episode four before we get into episode five. Before we get into that, remember, this yes. is the Francis Ford Coppola uh, film podcast, even though we're talking the offer. And today, by the way, we haven't been doing a good job at this, as I've been editing. We need to do a better job at this. The episode name, this is the recap of Episode five of the offer, Kiss the Ring. Which Kiss the Ring. Happens here. We'll talk all about it. Uh, but Great of course, scene. I will be drinking some Coppola wines while we talk the film. Yes. And I might have drank this one before. I don't know. I bought a bunch of Coppola, but I'm opening a fresh bottle right now. This is Francis Coppola Diamond Collection Cabernet Sauvignon 2018. Okay. Very nice, Brian. And as you know, like I, I intended to join you tonight, but I left my Coppola wine at the Podfather's uh, barbecue <laughs> gathering. And so I haven't made it back to the liquor store yet. And it's ironic, too, because I returned from the land of Coppola wine not too long ago and yeah. uh, had a whole lot of it while I was away. So got me very much in the mood. And, uh, you know, hopefully next episode, I'll have my bottle ready. And, <laughs> and we'll be doing this like it should be done. And it was great seeing you, Mike, before or right real after quick, the trip, right? Quick. Am, I rec- am I recording? Because I don't see my recording, my lines on uh, Zencaster. And Mike, as I open this bottle, I, it was great seeing you after your trip and after my trip at the aforementioned Podfather Joey Lewandowski's house. It was a meeting of the five podcasters. You know, we had to uh, <laughs> we had to break bread a little bit. The five families of <laughs> Podcast Network. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, great to see you. And we were so excited to just talk this show again. Um, again, before I get into episode four as well, as I struggle to open this bottle of wine, maybe I've had some wine already. Oh, uh, there we go. <laughs> it's not a screw top, that one, I see. No. no, no, this is a true cork here. So there have been a lot of back and forth about this show online. A lot of film snobs and critics hate it. They continue to hate it. 
Oh, they're, they're no fun. People have considered me a film snob, and I love this show. <laughs> but, Mike, you and I, I think, are a little bit different than, than your average film snob. You know, maybe we are. I know when, like, people who aren't into film try to listen to my podcast, they're like, what are you guys talking about, you know? <laughs> what is framing? What is composition? Uh, oh, but I don't score? talk about that. I don't talk <laughs> about that on my shows. I don't know. Regardless, I have to say, though, Mike, everyone I talk to who watches the show loves it. And I went back and checked the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh-huh. Not, a, not a lot of people have rated this, to be fair. But it's still 50% by the critics, but 95% by the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, the audience speaks. The Killer Tomatoes, you know, have their army. What can you say? I mean, I never thought I'd see the day where I side with them, but I can't help myself watching this show is just so much fun. Like, I think that's just the thing. You just have to sort of go with it, man. And if you can, like, it's a fun ride. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I think people who like The Godfather, despite perhaps some things that might not be true, might be true. I think Godfather fans really like this movie because, again, it's more Godfather content. Yeah. It's fan service in the good kind of way. They're giving us everything we want here. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and even I'll talk more about it the next, you know, this episode, the next episode for sure. But, like, I finally feel like I like the actual real life mob stuff going on in the show and it's found its place. And, you know, I'm just all in. You know, again, like it's been it's just been a while since we've talked, not since we've released an episode, but like just to just so you know, like it was really good getting back into this again after a little bit of a break. And it's just um, to your point, like of everyone you've talked to enjoys the show. Like, I don't know anyone who's watching it. Um, unfortunately. Well, to, be fair, to be fair, it's not a lot of people. But yes, you're right. True, true. But like. Maybe that's just the thing. It just needs that word of mouth. People will probably watch it when it's over. You know, it'll be a show people discover down the line on Paramount Plus. Word of mouth. I mean, possibly when Matthew Good wins the Emmy. Oh, I <laughs> hope so. God, he's good. And that's, that's no pun intended there. I cannot get enough of Matthew Good as, as Bob Evans here. Oh, my God. <laughs> One thing I want to mention quick before I forget, because I'm one thing I'm really bad at is like citations, citing where I read things. Okay. There's a website called whattowatch.com, and there's a writer on it called Michael Baldestron. And every week he'll do a fact versus fiction, the author. And it's like, it's really short reads, like three or four things of like, did this happen or not? So I've been reading them, and it's really cool. So uh, everyone listening, definitely check out this guy's stuff because he's watching, we're watching. Again, doesn't seem like a lot of people are watching, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be a slow burn. Um, one thing that I have heard on the internet, though, the Al Ruddy-ness of it all, because we're getting Al Ruddy's perspective mostly. There mm-hmm. are places I've read, and I can't find the exact quotes, but like Francis apparently said somewhere that he hardly remembers Al Ruddy being on the set at all. Oof. <laughs> I know it was a while ago, Mike, but you, you read um, a Robert Evans book, you said, and apparently in that book, uh, Ruddy's not mentioned a lot, if at all, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that that's true. And the kid stays in the picture, um, the audio book, you know, and in the wide career of Robert Evans, I feel like Al Ruddy is a footnote. <laughs> I thought about this a lot. And... I was just thinking of like, how could this be possible? 
And then I thought about it and like, this is to me very possible, right? People who are doing a big project like this are so in their own world that they don't like, they don't know sometimes what the left hand is doing. I was thinking even my own job, right? Like recently we went through a really tough period and I worked hard and my team worked really hard, right? But I don't know what my boss did behind the scenes. He might have been talking to his bosses. I'm sure he was, you know what I mean? And fighting for me. And then the people who work under me who I don't really interact with, they don't probably say like, oh, Brian was doing this and Brian was doing that, you know? Everyone's in their own little movie. Everyone's in their own story. What we are seeing the ruddy perspective, but that doesn't mean, like, just because Coppola doesn't remember him much, that's not what Coppola was focused on. He was focused on the actors and things. And you can even see it in these episodes. Ruddy will just come to him, I'll take care of it, Francis. Don't worry. You know? And he's not telling him everything. So maybe Francis didn't even know everything on that front. And then for Bob Evans, you're right. Just a footnote in all the shit that he's going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to kind of contextualize sometimes when you're so used to someone's story, right? But there's more than one side to every story, you know, and Coppola it's totally, and now the more the show goes on, he's so immersed in the film and the production and getting it done that like, it feels like he barely sees Al, you know, it feels like mm-hmm. there, it's just kind of a guy, a boss kind of figure, like you mentioned or something like, you start to feel a little more of the hierarchy or like the, the people Al spends more time with, like forget about how well they get together. Like that could be completely fictionalized, you know, for the show. And I'm cool with that, but yeah, I think it's from that certain perspective, you know, to Al Ruddy, I'm sure Coppola was like way more important to him. Like out, like Coppola was more like, he was sort of, you know, he's not from this world. Okay, so like he's still this is his like second movie. So like to get this Wonder Kid Coppola, to get Brando Pacino, like all these names and stuff, like I'm sure we're seeing like how overwhelmed he is and like how big and sort of cinematic the world of just making movies is through his eyes, through the eyes of this guy from the fucking Rand Corporation, you know, from the most boring place on the planet. Like, <laughs> yeah, like things are gonna feel sensational. And so I think the show does a good job of capturing that like his perspective like i think maybe that's why everything is so pumped up and heightened is because you know from where already's coming from like that's how it felt you know and again like to you know more than one side to every story so like let coppola make his show i would love to see that oh yeah i mean that'd be awesome <laughs> one other thing i want to mention before talking like some episode minutia is it me mike or is this show like a fine wine getting better and better that's how i feel (laughs) yeah i mean definitely definitely the closer we get to rolling cameras and actually shooting the film the better the show seems to be getting the more we're casting the more we're seeing these real life celebrities portrayed on screen it's great like we're just the more immersive it becomes absolutely so uh i already mentioned you and kyle did a great job of talking episode four the right shade of yellow. Yes. <laughs> the Chino problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. So actually, three things I wanted to mention quickly. Uh, you already went over, but just wanted to give my two cents. First, yes, yes. the whole Brando thing is amazing. It was the best. The best. It, it's amazing. I mean, I know you guys mentioned that, but I just wanted to add, yes, like it is so good. And I don't know, like this guy, they got to play Brando. I think he's doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, I don't know him. I didn't, I don't know from nothing, but like, 
you know, as we talk about th- today's episode, like, just like channeling the dude, like he's a medium or something, you know, like it doesn't feel like an impression. It feels almost, it reminds me kind of like when Chris Pine started playing Captain Kirk and he wasn't quite doing a William Shatner impression. He was but more playing the character Captain Kirk. It feels like that in a weird way, except he's playing a real guy playing yeah, yeah. Godfather. But he's capturing that essence in some way, making it his own and in portraying it perfectly. Something that I always forget, like it makes sense timeline wise, but like I forget that Brando wasn't necessarily the old man he plays in The Godfather, right? Like, <laughs> right. You know, like they, they aged him up. So, and I always knew that, but like seeing it here, it's amazing. It just has eccentric nature. So, love getting way into Brando here. The second thing, and you and I talked a little bit about this off air. What's her name? The wife character, like Francois. Francois, like what they did here, and like writing her off. Like, why was she even in it to begin with? We I don't... called it. We called it. We did call it, unfortunately, and not in a good way. No, and I think we had the same sentiment as like, if you were gonna run her into the ground so fast, why even turn? Why even start turning her into this really cool character that I? I wanted to see go somewhere. It's just, it's very unfortunate because I was looking forward to seeing this character expand and now she's gone. So I don't see her coming back either. We've seen two episodes since she's gone and I don't see her again. So yeah. And Al's banging other people and doing (laughs) doing his own thing. And he's talking like, I just went through a big breakup. Like, did you, she just left. Did you settle that? I don't know. It's very interesting. It's very, and I don't mean interesting in a good way. Wait, was it in this episode that we're going to talk about today or the one you guys talked about where he bangs the casting director? That was at the end of episode four. Okay, okay. But it's addressed in episode five. Yes. That's that's what I'm getting confused. So just quickly on that, I feel like that's totally the real Al ready being like, oh, we're not banged her. You know? I was like, what is this thing for? I was, I was I was doing my Robert Evans impression, trying to be a cop. <laughs> like, uh, I, yeah, I, who knows? Like, thinks that's what Hollywood producers do? I don't know. No, I didn't really get that impression. I got the impression that, you know, it was a moment of weakness or some shit. I, I, I don't know for sure. There's something about this show that is so not 21st century. Now, look, it's depicting the 70s, so I get it. And there's so much of it, like, especially the, the Betty parts that feel very progressive. But then there's also, like parts of it that still are very like yeah 70s machismo misogynistic in a way and and even even the sort of writing and um like structure sometimes uh and this has been something i've been trying to put my finger on you know from the beginning like what is up with some of these lines and some of this dialogue and so heavy-handed and everything like part of it almost plays like a soap opera I mean, it doesn't have the tone of a soap opera because that's all very dire all the time and very serious, you know, and it's got like a weird schlocky angle going for, I don't know, you know, like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's kind of like trashy TV, you know, like yeah. just, I find it very easily, easy to consume it, to talk about it, to think about it. And uh, again, just like overall fun to watch. 
I think we mentioned this already, but it's not prestige TV. It doesn't yeah. feel like a high-level HBO project, but it is so fun. It doesn't even feel like West Wing. Like, that's, <laughs> don't forget Westworld. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. You know, it feels like even like almost this like late 80s-ish type of mentality of like, let's tell a period piece, except there's, you know, all this money, production money, and, uh, you know, the, the tools of the day. It's an expensive, cheap show. But again, this is not me insulting it because I love it and it's it's entertaining. Not everything needs to be highbrow. That's it. That's exactly what I think the quote-unquote, you know, Filminati uh, (laughs) are are upset about is that it's not highbrow, that it doesn't take itself seriously, like hardly for a second. You know, and that's not to say like there isn't drama, but – yeah, it's not prestige. It, it's not something I feel like you're going to be able to like study or anything. It's just consumable. And I love that about it. I love that they didn't go the highbrow way. I think a criticism I've seen, and apologies if you guys can hear the thunder in the background. It is raining. Oh, I've got it here too. Thor's up there fighting Thanos or something. <laughs> but The Godfather, again, one of the greatest films of all time. I think some people expected the show about the Godfather to be one of the greatest shows of all time, but why? How can you, those are, those are completely uh, unrealistic expectations in this day and age. Like the shows that become some of the best shows ever are the ones that just kind of like sneak in there. You know, I think of like Midnight Mass on Netflix, like still a show I feel like mm. not enough people have seen, but like one of the greatest shows I've ever watched, like one little season of this miniseries, And I still was like up there for me with like lost wow that's pretty cheers. crazy or like, <laughs> lost <laughs> cheers midnight mass um i'm just saying like you can't aim for that and they were smart enough not to but you're right i i think they didn't know their expectate what their expectations were gonna be right like it's hard to guess that and that it feels like it feels like they had no idea that there was going to be like this size of a backlash from a community they were trying but to But honestly, see. it's not even that big of a backlash because no one's watching. <laughs> you know. Well, that that's the ultimate slap in the face, Brian. <laughs> it's like they don't watch the show. <laughs> I think they will though. I think they will slow burn. Same here. Same here. So we ended episode 4. Uh, he finally uh, as in Ruddy go he goes over Evans's head, gets Pacino in the movie. Oh, yeah. And then it turns out Pacino signed up for a film. Uh, what the gang who can't shoot straight is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. By the way, and we'll talk about it on the next two episodes. I'm loving how many just like name drops of films of the era they do. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. What, what's that on your desk? <laughs> A script. What's it called? Yeah. Chinatown. Chinatown. <laughs> what is it? Incest. Incest and water rights. But hey, it's good. Like <laughs> I can't put it down. <laughs> so that's like the big thing here. It's like, holy fuck. He gets Pacino and then this happens. So we, we walk into episode five. By the way, as I see the video, I'm wearing a jean jacket today. I feel like I'm cheating on Paramount. It is a Universal Studios jean jacket. Hey, hey, it's okay. You're in line with one of my shows, The Monsters That Made Us. Very true, very true. Universal Films, uh, Film Monster. So I love it. I wish I had a Paramount jacket, though. This is becoming, as you predicted, Mike, such a more of a Paramount show than a Godfather show. 
we'll have to we'll have to try and, and uh, fish out some merch for the offer or Paramount Plus. But I'm repping I'm repping you tonight. I got my Rock and Roll High School. Nice. So that's for High School Slumber Party, which is of course the podcast I host. And you mentioned Monsters That Made Us and then Titular Cage Club. And we should tell you, even though we're like halfway through the episode. Please subscribe to this podcast <laughs> wherever <laughs> wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Tell a friend. You know, I forget to because this is such a pat. No, I don't forget to subscribe. I'm a subscriber, but I forget to mention it because this is such a passion project. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, this is yeah. just a fun conversation we have. But I got to remember to do that. <laughs> so what do you want to talk about when it comes to episode five? You know what my first note was? <laughs> What's that? Exactly what you were talking about, Mike. The conversation that Evans has with his girlfriend or wife, I guess, at the time, Ellie McGraw. Yeah, yeah. She wants to do the getaway with uh, Steve McQueen. Okay, like, you, yeah, yeah. You can't do that, you know? Oh, so I thought, like, um, the Ellie McGraw character was just going to be kind of like a background side character. But she's getting more and more lines and... yeah. I actually like her in the show, and I like the actress who plays her. So I'm enjoying what's mm-hmm. going on there. That's interesting, too, because she's still alive. I wonder what she thinks about being portrayed. Like, she's not being slandered or anything. It's not like that. It's not what I'm saying. I think I love her, too, as a character. I wasn't sure she was going to be there, but we're going to see their marriage dissolve on screen. So she ends up doing the getaway and falling in love with Steve McQueen in real life. So yeah, I was just going to mention that Mike, like I just happened to, you know, know that story. You obviously know that story, but I imagine there's a lot of our listeners out there who have no idea of what's going to happen, but spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) She ends up with Steve McQueen. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, that's yeah. Evans talks about like the Godfather being, you know, like, he cheated on his wife with the Godfather or something. You know what I'm saying? Like he just he couldn't do both, I guess. But whatever. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of in this. Like we need Pacino. Get me Pacino. We got Pacino. So that was nice that that was settled. I like the wheeling and dealing of that that meeting where he traded Pacino for De Niro. I liked Evans getting obsessed with Panic at Needle Park and like yeah. watching that over and over. Yeah, I like seeing the home life, you know, the Evan stuff is just top tier for me. You know, I hate to say it about a show about the Godfather, but I'm, you know, it's the show about Robert Evans that I'm having the best time watching. And I I think you can concur with me. It's so good. It's so good. This episode, I felt like was more of a um, transitional episode. Like it was really fun if, if you're into the show, but... Not a lot necessarily happens. It's a lot of it's about a lot of the minutia of making the film, which again we love, and that's what yeah, we yeah. love. Yeah, yeah, all that pre-production. Like, isn't this the one where they like hire the cinematographer, hire mm-hmm. the editor? Like, we see Gordon running. Willis, the dark yeah. maker here. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, he's so cool. Gordon Willis is, for my money, the greatest cinematographer of all time. Love Gordon Willis's stuff, and, and, and he's and, like, uh, "Can we do? Maybe we could do a test." And he's yeah. like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but later he's like, they're on set in the next episode. And he's like, I just need the key, the light. Like, he asks for a certain wattage. And the guy's like, what do you want, an extra moon? And he's like, no, just a street lamp or something, you know, to him. Like, it's so fun to, to oh see the God. way his mind thinks. I know I was dissing the film nerds, but we are the film nerds like you and I, because we're getting into like the nitty gritty of like, I'm leaning on everything Gordon Willis says and like just and they're just feeding it to me as a fan you know well this I felt was probably and even 
considering next episode, since we watched that, we'll do a separate episode for it. But like, I think this is my favorite episode so far. It nice. felt the, because it just felt like the best written, best directed, the least kind of schmaltzy in those ways. Like there weren't a lot of those big speeches that stood out. There weren't a lot of those cringe moments that stood out. The cringe moments I love. Don't get me wrong, you know, that don't, you know, everyone has their own ideas of what those might be. And I love the ones in this show sometimes, mostly from certain dialogue and everything. But, you know, the show usually like sticks to two or three things, I feel, each episode. And this one was a lot of like ready going back and forth from LA to New York and LA to New York and like dealing with the permits and the permits guy. Like, this is the third episode where we're still dealing with permits. So we finally <laughs> settle the permits. The FBI raid, the FBI visits him. Like, there's a lot of Ruddy on his own. And we don't even see Puzo this episode. So no. there's a lot of Ruddy on his own. And not only that we don't see Puzo, it, this is the show we wanted because it's not just Ruddy. It's a lot of Coppola setting up the movie, a lot of Evans with backroom deals. Remember, now he has to get... Like, originally, he didn't want Pacino. They forced Pacino yeah. down his throat. As you mentioned, he sees Panic in Needle Park. Ellie McGraw is into him, so he's like, all right, I'll do this. And Evans is such a cool character and such like it feels like a real character, even though he got screwed over by Ruddy in a sense, he still admires his moxie, you know what I mean? And he, he still yeah. like respects Ruddy, at least that's what the, you know, the show shows. So when he's got to get, even though he says fuck you originally, when he's got to get <laughs> uh, Pacino out of his contract and then there's this trade that they do with, um, I forgot the other studio. I think it was MGM. Let me see. Yeah, yeah, MGM. Because yeah. they mentioned the lion or whatever. And the estate sale. I remember the estate sale was, was yeah. bad. Uh, yeah. And they somehow trade De Niro for, for Pacino. I'm like, what? This is amazing. De Niro will be in part two of The Godfather. Also, yeah. even crazier. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to see like his behind-the-scenes wheeling and dealing the mind of Evans at work. I think it's next episode where we finally get to see him do some lines on screen, but you that just reminds you that this entire time, for the most part, like he's all coked up and like kind of just like going. Oh, when in you a said thousand. lines, you mean yeah, lines. Yeah, I meant <laughs> yeah, I meant he goes skiing at thirty thousand miles in the uh, flying in an airplane. But there's that great scene in this, you know, because like it's hard to remember, like because he's so over the top that. Evans is the head of the fucking studio. Like, whatever he says really makes, yeah, I make the calls, baby. Like, I'm the fucking head of the studio, Paramount. I'm sitting on top of that mountain. Like, that kind of (laughs) shit. But, you know, he's worried in this episode that Blue Horn's going to sell Paramount, that they're going to unload it, you know? Like, it's starting to be, like, their glad love story, like, is a box office smash, but they're playing fucking mind games with Evans. So we see that great scene with him. Lapidus. <laughs> when he's with his assistant and he's just like theorizing and he's fucking, he's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then he sees the guy surveying the lot and he walks out and he's like, what the fuck are you doing there? And he like <laughs> kicks over the machine and shit. And he's like, get the fuck off my lot. And he's like, this is out, this is getting out of control. I was like, this is amazing. The Evan stuff is just as entertaining as the Godfather stuff in this. I, I'm just eating up every little morsel of it. Um, anything else you want to say about Evans and that storyline? Because there is one scene that people on the oh, internet yeah. were going apeshit for. So Okay, yeah, yeah. So is it an Evans scene or you want to move on? I'm, I'm done with the Evans stuff, but there is one scene in this show that is 
the greatest. It was so great. And I hope the people on the internet feel the same way and they're not trashing that scene, but, and I hope we're referring to the same scene. So let's, yeah. Well, what's the scene? You tell me now. I'm intrigued. The dinner scene. Yes. Okay. Okay. People were <laughs> loving this on the internet because okay, it, good. we finally get to see so many of the players in The Godfather. We get Talia Shire. She's not really mm-hmm. focused on, but she's there. You know, we have a Diane Keaton, Pacino, Brando. They're all in the room. Ruddy is there, but who cares, right? <laughs> Coppola's there, and he just wants everyone to get together for this big Italian yeah. meal. We finally to... see John Cazell. Yeah, yeah, Fredo. On screen, yeah. We have the whole family there. It's almost like a deleted scene from The Godfather. It's really great. So, Mike, great. this is a real thing that happened. In the Factor's Fiction article, they actually had Ooh. had a, a dinner. And it wasn't supposed to be like, we're going to do it in character. But apparently they took cues off Brando, and Brando was like kind of being Messed. in character. Yeah, And then yeah. everyone else started just acting in character, and they had the dinner like that. And I could imagine, not to be vulgar, I could imagine that blood was rushing to the tip of Francis Ford Coppola's member when he's in this, <laughs> when he's in this room with all his actors and they're being those characters. Oh my God. It's so cool. And to learn that it's a real yeah. scene. Oh my God. I, I was so happy with it. That's great to hear that this was sort of just played out that way because it felt so natural like I was surprised. Like this, this was the best part of the show so far. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like I don't understand exactly why. I mean, maybe because you say we finally get to see everybody being portrayed, and everyone just like improvises this scene out of nowhere, and like you could see them taking the cues, and you can see them being the characters, and this is where we get the kiss the ring, kiss the ring thing, and it's just so much fun to watch Coppola. Or rather, you know, Dan Fogler uh, as Coppola, like sitting back and taking it in and and starting to see what's happening and, and, you know, and just how happy he is. And like, yeah, it was just a great scene. The scene is so good, Mike. The scene is so fun. It's it's the fan service we want. And again, I'll say it for the million times. I mean that in a good way. It's everything here. And it's getting me so excited for what the rest of the show is going to be about. Because I, there was a point where you and I talked about, is this just going to be a mafia show? Are we going right, to see scenes right. of filming The Godfather? I don't even know. if I thought maybe the movie would end. Sorry, the movie. The show would end with like them starting up production. I, th- I thought this just might be a pre-production show. But this scene showed me we're going to get it. We're going to get yeah. you know, the making of. This is a, this, what this is, I realized. And sounds like an insult, but it's not. This is when you got the DVD, whatever edition it was, in the early 2000s. You opened it up and there was that extra special feature disc and you watch those special features. This is the dramatic version of that special feature disc. (laughs) Again, I can't have enough. That's a great call. You know, and I also kind of felt that we would not see this much of the production, of the filming and everything. But now I'm starting to think, you know, this is going to end with uh, Greenlight the sequel, Godfather 2, next Christmas. Or who knows? It might be Chinatown. Let's see what that's like. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember when that came out. If it came out, you know, around the same time. If I, yeah, I don't know. A lot of lot of uh, balls in the air over at Paramount around this time. You know, they're gonna have a series of hits, starting with like Rosemary's Baby, and then like Love Story, then Godfather, then Chinatown. Like Evans, Evans has a bit of a run there. We're gonna talk a little bit more about Paramount in the next episode because that's like a very Paramounty episode. The other thing I wanted to mention here. Yeah. Lapidus, that Colin Hanks character, what a 
slime ball. You know, what a pencil pushing point, Dexter. Did so perfect, perfectly played, pitch perfectly played <laughs> by Colin. Great. You just get that look on his face where it's like, that must be what it's like to have Chet as a brother sometimes. You just look <laughs> and you're just like, ah, ah. <laughs> too far. You could cut that. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> We're no Chet Hanks fans here, but Charlie Bluthorn. I'm actually really liking this character too. I didn't know how much we were going to see of him. Fantastic. Fantastic. What's the actor's name? I, I love the actor, but let me see. Uh, let's see. Burn Gorman, who yeah. I mostly know from like Pacific Rim and other oddities. Like uh, he's been around. I've seen him in a bunch of things, but like very commanding performance on this show. Like this show is like, you know, a fair number of pretty big actors in it up and coming actors well-established actors and like i feel like he's right like this is a moment that he's grabbing almost like matthew good in a way right where he's like this is a role i can define or something like that like this is a real guy and uh you know if i play my cards right i'll be remembered for playing this guy you know because i don't i you know for the people watching this show like matthew good is forever evans now like, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it works. And, and a, um, I'll be referring to this guy as playing Bluthorn for a while. And it's a very different character than he's really played before. He usually plays like these like sinister period pieces. I'm going to have a bowler cap and I'm a killer kind of like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or, or sort of a nerdy, meek scientist. Yes, yes. I know this is a period uh, piece, but this isn't usually the period he plays, you know. Yeah, yeah. Here he's threatening, hilarious kind mean he just plays the whole roller coaster so well you know and i love his little sort of professional affair he's having with betty like that's that's really fun it's so weird because uh, he's creepy he's creepy he's supposed to be creepy right and he's creepy but like it doesn't feel creepy you know what i mean like you know what it's like it it's just the I think it's like something lost in translation because like obviously English, not his first language, very thick, heavy accent, just the mannerisms of a man that grew up, you know, more worldly. I don't know what it is, but it's like once you get to know him, you understand he's not being creepy, that he's just kind of like eccentric is more of a way to put it, I think. And he really respects her, you know, and like he... He's into her not just because she's pretty, but like he admires her a bit. And again, I'm not defending like the uh, the CEO of a company hitting on secretaries and stuff like that. Though in the 70s, we know that was happening all the time, right? But like yeah. it doesn't yeah. feel like he's preying on her. And I also think that's a, a big part of that is Betty, who is holding her own. And uh, Juno Temple is really standing yes. out in this series as well, both in this episode and the next episode. We just see just her power, right? Like the power of this character. And from what I'm reading, like Betty is getting her shine here. Cause that was a real person. And she was actually doing these things. I don't know if she actually met with the mob to try to uh, clear. <laughs> That's the next episode. <laughs> this up. We'll, we'll get there. But from what I understand, she was a firecracker like that. And I'm glad she's getting her day. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was pretty surprised about that scene where he offers her a job, you know, and that was just more of a, like, she took that more as a cue of, like, oh, shit, they really might be mm-hmm. selling the company. Like, she didn't, you know? Like, there was a, it, that's a very interesting scene between those two characters because 
he is really offering her a job, but he's also saying secret secretively he's letting it leak to her that they're thinking about selling the company. And now it can go and she can play her game of telephone and she can go inform Ruddy and, and Evans will catch word of this. And then it spreads. And then next episode, we sort of see he becomes like the deciding vote. Right. So like, I don't know. That's the way I sort of took it. But. So Mike, remind me to bring this point up in the next episode, but I feel like I want to insert it now. I feel like Charlie never really wants to sell Paramount. Like, yeah, he's in it yeah. for the money or whatever, but I feel like Charlie actually quite likes owning Paramount and if they can almost win themselves over, he is like you said, always going to be that deciding vote not to sell it. So yeah. uh, can't yeah. wait till we talk about that. Anything else from this episode you want to mention? I got one thing that is just like, okay, there's, well, we still have to talk about the way the episode ends, but before we do that, the FBI comes to see Al Ruddy and this is Maybe this is this is the worst scene of the show of the episode, but this is probably the this is a bad scene. Like this is <laughs> like the FBI come and he's like, "Oh, ready?" He's like, "Yeah," and then they sort of like he's like, "Hold on, fellas, you got the wrong idea." And then they kind of like smash cut to them being charmed, like he charms their pants off, and he's like, "Look, guys, I don't need the FBI following me. I think I can take care of myself." And they're like, "Okay, Mister Ruddy, but like you know, be careful. You don't you know like." make sure you're okay and it's like there's no way there's no way the fbi would just be like yeah you got this mr ruddy go ahead and make your movie like we'll leave you alone like i found that to be a little um i agree over the top like did that scene even need to exist i don't know especially in the next episode the mafia stuff is winning me over a little bit i also don't need like the constant like fbi threat or whatever you know what i mean it's like a weird yeah. world like yeah they're trying to inject more of what we're gonna see in the movie of the godfather you know like the fbi writing down license plates and like all that kind of warrant stuff and shit and you know just that it's that they're a presence in the daily life of the moth a mafia uh, in the moth why do they call <laughs> it the mob and they should call it the moth the why do they call it the mob um call it the moth after the mafia but yeah. Grand Moff Tarkin. Okay, so the one thing I was going to mention is we meet a character um, who is the editor named Aram Avakian. Yes. He becomes a central figure in some Godfather behind-the-scenes lore that I'm curious. I, I'm i pretty sure they're going to do in this because they're, they're leaning on it, but I was happy to see him because I'd always heard his name but we'll get there when we get there. But just I wanted to note that we meet him here. Uh, so, Mike, how did the episode end? Uh, it ends with Al Ruddy going to meet with Joe the Mobster and getting <laughs> ambushed by that press conference where he's like, the Italian Americans are going to let them film The Godfather. And... Uh, yeah, you know, what he mentions the what's the company again? Um, Golf and Western. Yeah, yeah. So and he's like, uh, we're in bed with Golf and Western. Da da da. He's like mentioning Golf and Western, mentioning Paramount, mentioning you know all these names, and he's like, and it's all thanks to Al Ruddy. And he like brings Al Ruddy up on the stage, and they're taking pictures. Like, did that happen? Is that is that on the website? Apparently, it didn't exactly happen like that. But it happened in a sense where people started getting uncomfortable with perhaps like mafia dealings. That's what I that's, read. But. Th- that's what I could understand. But were there 
newspaper headlines that we could track down on microfiche? Like, it, uh... I'll have to look, but Mike, I was thinking about this. Let's be honest. Would that really make a newspaper headline? Like, they're making a movie. Yeah. Some guys. Well, I mean, Variety, maybe, like the trade. So that's not going to make the New York yeah. Times. Yeah, like the, yeah, it's more like right. oh my god, mafia guy, not like oh, and also they're doing a movie. I know, but you know, you got to mentioning like Paramount and like this huge company and everything. You know, I don't know, might have made a day of news in a maybe, maybe you know, lifeless but, cycle. But I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, I, that's that was just that was another sort of like I was like, that's the end. That's the cliffhanger. It was true that though that they were kept peddling Paramount and kept thinking about spinning it off. Um, from Gulf yeah. and Western because Gulf and Western had become such a successful company aside for it from it. So that's all real. But we'll we'll talk about uh, the repercussions of this because Mike, you love this episode. I think the next episode might be my favorite. I don't know. So well, that definitely has a uh, top three moment for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about uh, whether or not it tops the dinner sequence. Uh, when we get there, and I can't wait to get there. So the episode was called Kiss the Ring because uh, basically the Carlo character in the dinner scene screws up a little bit, right? And then um, he's got to yeah, kiss yeah. the ring of Marlon Brando, essentially, with the Godfather there. The next episode is called Stand Up Guy, so definitely definitely stay tuned to this feed. Like us on social media. Follow me at oh my Rodriguez on Twitter. I also made an Instagram for this show called Uncle Francis Wine Cellar. Easy to find. Uh, and then Mike, you have a Twitter, right? Yeah, uh, at the underscore Mikester online, and then all the other shows we are on at cageclub.me. So yeah, follow us there. Listen to our shows. Listen to the titular Cage Club. This wouldn't be Uncle Francis if it wasn't for. Nicholas Cage existing in the <laughs> show that you did. So so I have to kiss your ring today, Mike, for, for giving me the opportunity here to talk uh, the offer and to talk so many other great films. When we, uh, I can't wait till we get into the Francis stuff, but we're having fun with the offer. So thanks again. And we still haven't figured out how to end the show. Uh, yes, we did. Yeah, we did. You've just forgotten, but we say uh, leave the gun, take the cannolis. Okay. Yes. We've been saying, I mean, have we agreed? We don't need yes. to keep saying it. Yes. Right in with what you think the end of our show sign-off should be. I didn't know if that was official, 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 but okay. Leave the gun. Take the canoe. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend. The end of our elaborate lives. The end. Of everything that stands the end No say